0: 18 plus. Football Social Daily with German Donna Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and delivery. How's it going?
2: This is Football Social Daily, a Premier League podcast from Sports Social, which in fact isn't daily at all right now due to the coronavirus pandemic. But three times a week, you'll still be kept in touch with all the news and opinion from the English top flight brought to you from genuine fans who are missing the petty arguments down the pub as much as you are. All of those scraps about who's better out of Messi or Ronaldo... It's Ronaldo, by the way. Thanks for downloading the show. Hit subscribe however you get your podcasts and you'll never miss an episode of Football Social Daily again. I'm Niall McCaunt and our primed and ready pundits today are on the opposite end of the facial hair spectrum. We've got Marley Anderson and (laughs) Ant McGinley. Hello, gents. Hello. I didn't
3: expect that shot of me so early in the podcast there.
2: Oh, mate, we've got to. There's so much rubbish going on in the news regarding the Premier League at the moment. We've got to have some sort of belly laugh somewhere. I'm just wanting to know whether... (laughs) Ant's worried people will be stealing his style after this lockdown's lifted. People shaving their heads and growing long beards. There's going to be thousands of Ant
1: McGinleys walking around. Potentially, yeah. Although I'm kind of at the end of the scale where, and for those of you who've never seen a picture of me, uh, basically if you imagine a troll with its head upside down, that's kind of what I look like. Um, And with everybody (laughs) getting bored and shaving their heads, I'm actually reaching that stage where basically one of two things is going to happen. The next time you see me, I'll either have shaved the beard off or I'll have braided it. So I'm going to have those kind of like weird Viking braids with beads in. Because um, I've actually reached that length where I can do that now. So it's
2: either baby face or barbarian for you, come the end of this lockdown. Is there's one or the other? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah. I've actually never seen you clean shaven. In, in the n- nearly two years I've known you, I've never seen you with that beard.
1: So that would be well, very interesting. I, 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 yeah. Uh, also as well, I think potentially it has this opportunity for... Uh, a lot of mischief because nobody would di- recognize me at all. I'd just be able to walk past any sort of like, even at airports, all the facial recognition because all my uh, official documents have uh, beards on. So I think effectively if, you know that program Hunted where they try and find people, all I would have to do is just shave my beard and I would just go invisible. <laughs> If you, if you
2: ever commit a crime, now the cops know exactly what to look for. You without a beard. You've, you've busted yourself inadvertently there. Anyway, on today's podcast, we'll be talking about what the Premier League are calling Project Restart. And it seems to be moving at a fair pace. Could players be back in training as soon as two weeks from now? That's what reports suggest. But not everyone in the game is convinced it's a good idea. More on that shortly. In Amongst All the Madness, we've had some mad suggestions about how to get the season going again. PFA executive Gordon Taylor has claimed matches could be less than 45 minutes each half. So we ask you to get in touch via social media and come up with your own wacky ways to end the season. And there have been some absolute belters. We'll also touch on the latest from the Newcastle United takeover where one section of team fans have written an open letter to the woman spearheading the takeover bid for the Saudis, Amanda Staveley, and this letter has actually annoyed a few Newcastle fans. We'll tell you why a bit later on. Plus, we got some transfer chat regarding Arsenal, so if you're a gunner, keep your ears open for that. But first, let's discuss what's being called Project Restart, an action plan from the Premier League in conjunction with all the major stakeholders in the game putting together protocols to get the game going again. Reports claim that the 18th of May is the date that players will return to training, but that is just two weeks away. Understandably, not everyone is too impressed about this. It's said also that four Premier League doctors from different clubs have expressed concerns over this date. To me, Ant, it's beginning to feel like we're rushing the game back again, and that's leading to this feeling of discomfort personally. So what's your personal take on this
1: whole project restart? well for a start it's the name and uh before i get into that just the fact that it's got a name called restart suggests that there is no option for it to not carry on when when you consider what's actually happening around the world and this virus that we're dealing with has no political affiliation it does not uh conform to traditional medicine or things that we've dealt with before so just because we decide something's going to happen doesn't mean it's going to go oh okay then and stop. Um and also what the, the fact that they've given it the, a name like this, it just sounds like a new Fast and Furious movie. You know, Project <laughs> Project Restart. It's like, oh come on. And not not even not even one of the good ones either. Um <laughs> it it just feels like the I, I might knock up something on social media about that. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, Fast yeah. and Furious twelve, Project Restart. <laughs> just Gordon important. Taylor's face with with <laughs> what am I doing coming out of the top of his head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he is the new Vin Diesel and The Rock um, I yeah I, I just feel that, that there's a lot in this that doesn't make sense to me so one of the motivating factors for this as I understand is the fact that if the season is not completed there is the potential that they're going to face a an issue with the broadcasters like BT Sport and Sky um, over the money that's been invested in the season because the season hasn't been completed yeah. Mm one of the suggestions for the season to be done and finished includes free to air games which again would mean that those broadcasters were losing out on revenue so mm. that doesn't seem to make sense to me and, and also as well it, it just you know we're still at the stage where okay it seems that the, the curve has flattened as the government says but you know there's still a huge amount of people who are losing their lives every day in this and mm. um, that does not feel to me like it's under control. If you got to the stage where, like, you know, even just a handful of people is still going to be difficult for, uh, obviously, horrible time for the people that are that are close to them and their families. But under control to me would be, you know, less than ten people a day dying of this thing, and we're nowhere near that stage. And so, I, like, the the fact is, organizing organizing a game of eleven aside takes a lot of people and a lot of effort and we've seen that in um, I mean we've been privileged enough to go um, to games on the other side uh, uh, in the press section and so we have an idea what happens behind the scenes but the way it works with the broadcasters, with the journalists, with all the support staff you're looking at not just 22 players and two managers you're looking at maybe 200 people getting together for a game and that that really goes against social distancing. Um in terms of what's going to happen on the pitch, <laughs> I mean I was always quite a big fan of the Edgar Davids glasses or the uh the Petr Cech headgear or the where you'd have Paul Gascoigne wearing the face mask because he'd broken a cheekbone or something like that. So the face masks I can see being something that, you know, potentially it, you know, after this appearing in club shops. So you can have an actual, you know, a Man City branded a face mask uh, with the number of your favorite player on. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't think we're ready for it. I think it will still happen. I think the the motivating powers, the money money behind it will go ahead and it will happen. And it will kind of be exciting because it's going to have a bit of a feel to like a World Cup tournament type thing. But at the same time, Like, it's just going to feel so empty. Yeah, I know what you mean.
2: It feels to me, like I said before, that it's just all being rushed through. We've gone from all of this chat, Marley, about, oh, we're going to bide our time. We're going to take our time. We're going to make sure it's right. To then, them all of a sudden saying, right, you can go back to training in two weeks. And Ant mentions the face masks. Well... Brighton striker Glenn Murray said yesterday that he feels the idea of players wearing face masks is farcical because he thinks that people are going to be ripping them off. It might cause difficulty breathing. I mean, football can't be played in the traditional way that we're used to seeing it played in the current climate. It's just impossible, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I mean, people, there's been a lot of, you know, like... (sighs) For want of a better word, just ridiculous suggestions about how we could bring the game back safely. And the, the honest, the honest answer is there isn't one. There is, there isn't one. You can't protect everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel, I feel like it somehow ridiculous came into my head and I was like, oh, that's very uh, political. Well done. Um, but I mean, there there isn't a way you can bring this back safely uh, unless you wait, you know, and give it time. And but to be honest. That time's going to be closer to sort of Christmas, probably even well well into next year before you even, you know, before you even can start to think, right, well, it is actually completely safe now because there's that many factors. I mean, you're yeah, fair enough. All right. You put a you put a mask on and a mask literally stops, you know, your your breath infecting somebody else or potentially infecting somebody else. But when you're marking someone from a corner and you're shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with them and you're both sweating because you've both ran for even 15 minutes, then the sweat transfers and you've completely like you've completely made, rendered the, the mask thing useless because you're still touching each other. There's still body contact. You're still less than two metres apart. You're less than two inches apart. You're, you're all over each other trying to stop goals that that are potentially going to go in and, and you've been forced into. So... The whole thing's a bit a bit stupid. If for me. I can
1: interject with a scientific point there, actually, Molly. Cool. Go. Um, as I understand it, with the masks, the masks stop you ingesting the particles, but when you breathe out, um, e- even the top end ones have a valve to allow everything to get out. So if you actually had the virus and you breathed out, the mask wouldn't stop it. The mask would still release it into the air, and that's the part of the problem because it's, as we understand it, this virus is in the air.
3: Exactly it's 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 even more silly than than we're talking about so you know it's it's one of them isn't it it's you know we all we all want football back like let's let's be honest we would all love to see it back um but the the balance is right now do we wait long enough or do we let more clubs and more people go uh into money issues before it does come back and i can see it it's literally it's money versus life this whole thing in in my in my opinion um and i think there's only one winner and i think it's it's the winner that it's the one that always wins it's money money's gonna win it is gonna come back i think it's gonna be back um in the coming sort of couple of months uh at least at least training so training will be will come back and then they'll they'll come up with something i'm assuming to start in june or july and still there'll be people dying every uh every day and and uh, hospitals struggling to cope without the the things that they need. But I think the, the amount of money in football and in sport in general will will overwrite everything. I think they will come up with some solution. And whether it works or not, they, they, they have to hope that it does work because they'll have a lot of blood on their hands if it doesn't.
2: People will compare the fact that the Bundesliga is set to be the first European league particularly of those of what we call the top five European leagues, to return. Um, Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, has now pushed back the return date to May the 22nd at the earliest, which is her words, translated, of course. I don't understand these people, Ant, on Twitter that are saying, well, if the Bundesliga can get things restarted, then why can't we? Firstly, the virus seemed to hit the UK two weeks later than the rest of mainland Europe. And secondly, the UK has the highest death toll from coronavirus in Europe. Germany seem to have got a grip of this virus a lot better than Italy, than Spain and ourselves here in the United Kingdom. So I don't think you can draw comparisons between the two, especially those people that are saying, oh, well, if Germany can do it,
1: then why can't we? It's not as cut and dried as that, is it? Not at all, especially when you consider the fact that some of the players aren't even in the UK at the minute because they've returned to their families and they're at home. And so you're going to have players that will be coming back from countries that... um, aren't necessarily having a good time of things either so again you're gonna um increase the risk of that because one of the things we're supposed to be doing right now is not just social distancing but not traveling around and that's why we're all here uh dialing in from our bedrooms and bathrooms or wherever we're recording these things today to to minimize that and so just that thing of bringing all those people together um it 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 doesn't make sense i mean that the the there's a couple of places that seem to be doing well so for example south korea south korea got a real handle on that uh, very early on with a lot of testing but without getting into the politics of it because everywhere's slightly different and there's different health systems and different ways of recording the figures but if south korea said right we want to start our football uh, again and you would look at it you can go okay yeah that's fair enough but where we are it, it just seems as if we're it just seems naive it's almost like oh yeah it'll it'll get better so let's just look and plan ahead for the future now I, i am all for making plans for the future but there are serious problems
2: right now four premier league doctors have basically come out and said they're not comfortable with this resumption of training just the fact that it's only two weeks away marley and that yet we've only just seen germany who as i say have got a good grip of the coronavirus in comparison to the united kingdom They've only just returned to training and their restart date has been pushed back uh, a further few days to the 22nd of May. And they they are well ahead of us in terms of their their exit strategy out of the lockdown period. So it almost feels like we are rushing this through. I, I just can't help but feel that that is my overriding emotion, that we are rushing through. A way to get the Premier League started again, and obviously, as you mentioned, it, it does feel like it's because of the money. Like the, the longer that we go on without football, the more that the Premier League and its, you know, corresponding businesses are hemorrhaging cash.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I look at um, obviously look at the news every night and whatever, and see how many people are, are still, you know, unfortunately losing their lives in 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 the UK and things like that. And I said to my uh, to my fiance a couple of weeks ago, I said if he if where do you think? Where would you like to live if something like this happened? I said, "What? What is the best country to live in in terms of coping with it?" And she was like, "Well, not the UK, because we—I just don't have any confidence in them." And I looked up the numbers. So still now, six hundred—what uh, is it? Six hundred uh, people a day or something uh, are dying. So that's that's the area we're in. It what it was higher. It is coming down. I think the peak of it in the UK has. Has passed, but I looked at Germany's numbers, and I mean, like the total cases is very similar number to to um, to the UK. There's roughly 170,000 in the UK uh, in Germany, and there was about 200,000 in the UK. Where Germany has had like 7,000 deaths in like comp in in total, which is still obviously like a lot of people, but. If when you compare that to uh, to the UK, it's um, it's twenty nine thousand in the UK, so it's like five times as many. And the UK is meant to be like this, um, you know, amazing country with the NHS and what have you, and and everything's everything's in order. And the, the people at the top of the pyramid will say, "Well, we're we're ready for everything, you know, we've we've got everything we need." And the, the fact of the matter is, we don't. And Germany have got everything. Set up is what I'm saying. They've got their all. They've got the stuff in in order. They're ready for things that might happen. They've seen this coming from from Italy and from China and from Spain, and they were like, right, well, we're, we're ready for it, and that's why we're seeing their football potentially coming back in um, in a couple of weeks. So, when you look at when you see you know see gammons on Twitter like, well, well, Germany's coming back in two weeks, so why can't we? I mean, it's because, mate, it's because we're getting ten times as many deaths as they are.
1: So. That, it's silly. I wonder if there's a factor there, Marley, as well about the the amount of uh, revenue that's involved, because the Bundesliga does not generate as much money as the Premier League, and you don't have to look very far to to get a feel for all the deals that are involved with it. Just f- for example, yesterday I had some chocolate, and on the on the wrapper for the chocolate it said, you know, win Premier League tickets. Now that <clears throat> is just about chocolate that I'm having, which I probably shouldn't be doing, uh, otherwise I'm going to come back heavier uh, than, than ever before, but. That's a sponsorship deal that's been arranged. That's uh, a lot of money that has been invested from that company with the Premier League to have those rights to do those things. A lot of organization, a lot of people's jobs involved in that. There's a huge amount of infrastructure and finance going way beyond the actual games themselves, all around it as a brand, as the licensing. I mean, even like I've heard some people talk about why don't we just postpone and pick the season up again when we can? So it's just in, indefinitely postponed, and then maybe pick it up next year. Fine, but then that's going to have massive implications—not just on players' contracts, <clears throat> but on contracts with companies like EA Sports that make the FIFA games. Suddenly, what do they go? Do they? You know, it might bring us to that nice thing as a gamer, where you buy FIFA twenty-one, but you actually buy it in twenty twenty-one, whereas usually you buy it, you know, six <laughs> six months before uh, you reach that year. But there's there's such a uh, a web a very complex complicated um machination of of deals and finance and people's careers and all those things but here's the thing that i'm going to say yes it's complicated but you know what if we get that wrong we can make it better we can we can come back and figure it out if you get it wrong the other way people die
2: We know what's worse, don't we, Ant? We know exactly what's worse, and I think that's the thing. It's people are sometimes at the top of these pyramids, blind to the fact that things will recover and that life is more important than anything else. And I think that is the overriding factor that I've got about it. I think the key is players. I've said this on the podcast before. I think the key is players. If the players go, well, we don't want to wear masks. We're not happy. We don't feel safe. We're not playing. Then they haven't got a leg to stand on. And talking of players, their representation in terms of a trade union is the Professional Footballers Association, the PFA. And their chief executive, Gordon Taylor, has well kind of made himself look a bit stupid recently. He claimed that matches when Premier League returns could be less than 45 minutes each way, which we just think is stupid. So we ask you to get in touch via social media and come up with your own crazy ways to end the season. And Marley, they've been flooding in, haven't they? There have been some
3: absolute crackers in terms of stupid ways to conclude the season. Yeah, there has. um, I mean, when I read this yesterday morning, I was like, who said this again? Gordon Taylor and I was like, hang on, isn't he like in charge of quite a big organisation that you know is is quite important in football? Um, and obviously it is, um, but I mean, it just doesn't solve anything, does it? Like this whole thing of. Or let's have a shorter matches. Like why? What, what does that do? Does, does it make? Does it make professional athletes, you know, not quite cope with that last ten minutes? Or we'll, we'll, we'll reduce it for thirty no, minutes. No, I
2: will tell you what it is, Marley. The coronavirus. After forty minutes, it becomes twice as deadly. <laughs> uh, you know, like some some of the some of the logic behind this. You just think, all oh, right, you know, we'll, we'll make it five minutes shorter. That will that will stop the spread of coronavirus. It's just nonsense.
3: It's But do you know what? Just before I read some out of. Before I read some of these uh, funny suggestions out that we got in from from our listeners and our social media audience, one thing I was thinking about this whole thing is if you shortened the um, the you know the length of a match or length of a half, for example, like there's stats going around, you know, easy, easily accessible that a ninety minute match, the match, uh, the ball's only in play for like forty one to fifty five minutes or something like that. So even like reducing it by ten minutes, the ball's not going to be in play as m- even like a lot of that time. So it's com- it's completely ridiculous. A word that's
2: been you know kind of thrown around a lot has been integrity, and obviously the integrity of the competition. You can't just all of a sudden make matches shorter because then you get into the argument of well, what about all goals that were scored in the last let's just say it's forty minutes a half? What about all goals that were scored in the last ten minutes of games? or the last five exactly. minutes of the first half and the last five minutes of the second half the league table would look dramatically different Liverpool could be third the amount of 80 to 90th minute goals they've scored this season Liverpool could be down the pecking order back towards second and third so I just think it's an absolutely ridiculous yeah. suggestion uh, but not as ridiculous as some of the ones that we've had sent into us
3: yeah let's um, just get into a few of these probably I I'll like 30 odd responses of this Uh, everyone coming up with with some crazy ones Um, Matt uh, sometimes on the podcast he says uh, I think a 20 man battle royal with the (laughs) biggest meatheads nominated from each team my money's going on a Dharma race straight away Owen Roy Hodgson is the special guest referee
2: (laughs) I like that Roy Hodgson to to kind of keep things in check although I think Troy Deeney might be him with a shout for this royal rumble he likes a bit of a brawl and Andy Carroll as long as you don't kick him in the knee
3: Oh, Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll will go down with a hamstring injury in the third round, though, if anything happens. <laughs> uh, Kieran, Kieran oh. comes up, he, he sometimes gets involved with the uh, the Friday podcast. Um, he says, play five a side with the team's best players in a random park. Well, the problem with that is all the random parks have been taken up by Spurs players training, aren't they? So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jim he, Jim yeah. says um, I'm going with a massive Royal Rumble style fight. There's a lot of fighting involved in these. Um,
2: yeah, so everyone's really
3: aggressive everyone's about. Everyone's getting a bit hostile. I think lockdown's aren't they? getting to yeah. people. Uh, he says, uh, but it's with all the mascots Ooh. of everyone. Who's winning that? Who's winning that? So, oh, I come like on, Andy, you I must
2: like know that. your mascots. You're the I, sort I reckon, of guy that knows uh, the mascots. Oh
1: yeah, Gunasaurus. Gun- Gun- I mean, just genetically, you've got to go for Gunasaurus at Arsenal. You would think, because he's ancient. Yeah, and also he's got that killer instinct, and he's that. I mean, he's he, he, all right. He looks a bit nice and smiley for a kid, but at his heart, he's a reptilian overlord of the dinosaurs. So he's going to come good. But,
2: but dinosaurs don't have any arms, Ant, and we're talking yeah, about Royal Rumble here. Terrible. So reach. How is a T? How how is a T Rex going to got a big mouth? Gonna, full like, of headbutt te- everyone out of the big ring. Big
1: mouth full <laughs> of teeth. I mean, the only the only thing he's going to struggle against is is possibly. Oh no, I was going to say Boiler Man, but that's West Brom who've gone down now, haven't they? So. Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd struggle with that. But I think, yeah, he's, he's going to be fine there. Like, Moonchester at Man City, what's he going to do? Uh, he's, he, uh, he, he's out first he's minute.
3: He's fast, isn't he, though? True. They had that social media race of Moonchester being fast as hell, so he'd probably <laughs> just leg it around the ring until everyone got tired.
1: I feel like we need to do a spin-off podcast here, which is the updates and all the uh, and profiles on all the mascots.
3: This was a popular one. Uh, a lot of people saying um, one big game of Wembley, like everyone used to play as a kid um so a lot of people were saying that um and you obviously you nominate your best player but then somebody was saying um it was Dylan he says uh, which each club's participant is their kit man <laughs> i don't know i'm not up on my kit men but uh, i don't really know who would win that probably probably man City.
1: i mean i'm quite a big fan of like the, the kind of the fighting idea just because it would give wolves the premiership simply because adama Triori no one's getting near him are they
2: uh, I did see one that I quite liked, Marley, uh, from our kid on Twitter about um, each Premier League club need to form a band uh, and do a battle of the bands. Yep, I quite enjoyed that.
3: One. Especially when he's uh, accompanied with it with a gif of Arsene Wenger playing the guitar, which I'm not sure how why that even exists as a gif. I'll tell you what, if Arsenal or Chelsea still had
2: Petr Cech, they would win because obviously Cech's a good drummer, isn't he? And I, I wonder if there are any musical uh, musical Premier League footballers knocking around. Yeah,
3: Well, everyone thinks they can rap now, don't they? They're all, oh,
2: they're all yeah, sort of bad. part-time rappers. so There should be a wrap-off between every single team. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> all,
1: all, what all this makes me think of is Marco van Basten. I don't know if you're aware about this, but for the last 15 years, uh, van Basten keeps submitting uh, treaties and ideas and white papers on the future of football. And actually, some of these crazy ideas that we're talking about, he's already put forward in an official capacity to FIFA. And I don't know if you've ever come across them or seen them, but some of them actually make sense. Some of them are a little bit crazy. He hasn't quite got down to the Royal Rumble side of things. But for years, he's been pushing forward the idea of having 80-minute games. And um, the way he deals with that is every time the ball goes out of play, the the clock stops. So you do get more time uh, with the ball in play. He also wants to scrap offside and introduce... Um, uh, penalties straight away after ninety minutes and no extra time, and he wants penalties to go the way similar to when the MLS started. Um, so you have eight seconds to score the goal, and uh, you run up with the ball.
3: Uh, my favourite came in from uh, from Ali Warrell on uh, on Twitter, and he put each team nominate a competitor who can run away from the referee in FIFA ninety four for the longest and the win against the league. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. If you What a game. Yeah, if you're not
2: familiar with FIFA 94, perhaps uh, that's a little bit uh too old school for you. Basically, when you used to get booked or sent off, you used to be able to run away from the referee and
3: he wouldn't be able to book you until he got close to you and it it would go on forever. That's a good one. Um there's a few more people mentioning uh, th- a three-legged race. Uh, Between a manager and the captain, but I just felt sorry for Roy Hodgson on that one because he's 71 years old. He'd probably just get dragged along like (laughs) as if it was like being attached to a car. Can you imagine
2: Newcastle with Steve Bruce as manager as well? I think it might struggle with, unless you put like a a Donner kebab at the end of the the finish line. Yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I can just imagine. Can you imagine Wilfred Zahar being uh, strapped to Roy Hodgson? Jesus. Uh, A few others, people saying uh, a one bounce tournament, Uh, that classic. uh, Game used to play as a kid when you bounce it off, uh, you bounce it off a wall and you only get one bounce to uh, control it and send it back, kind of like wall tennis. Uh, someone said head tennis. Um, someone said musical chairs in an empty stand. Uh, a thumb war was another one. Uh, another one. And someone's been watching too much Bake Off because somebody said uh, both teams have forty-four minutes to make a best, the best victorious sponge,
1: and then the winner's that. I don't know where that's come from. Um, do we not have the technology just to have every every player play themselves at FIFA and play all the fixtures out like that and just take and just accept it because it's got that accurate and that close to it? Could we do that?
2: Nah, I'm not having that FIFA's realistic. Like a no pro,
1: pro clubs tournament.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, thanks to everyone for your suggestions of wacky ways to end the season. Keep them coming in on our social medias. It's at the sports social on Twitter, at sports social on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search the sports social and you will find us anyway time for a quick break now here on football social daily afterwards we'll be talking about the latest on the newcastle united takeover and some interesting transfer gossip coming out of arsenal don't go anywhere
0: football social daily with german donna kebab get it delivered to your door via deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast, which isn't quite daily at the moment, just three podcasts a week due to the coronavirus pandemic. But according to reports, Premier League players could be back in training as soon as two weeks from today. So we might be back on our daily schedule very very soon we'll have to wait and see on that one now then we're going to talk about the latest on the Newcastle United takeover alongside me on the podcast today we've got Ant McGinley and Marley Anderson and we asked Marley who is a Newcastle fan on the last podcast whether he was feeling a little bit nervous about the possibility of the takeover not going through It's all seemed to be a little bit quiet but I think everyone up in uh, Tyneside is pretty confident that the Saudis are going to take over the club but there has been some interesting developments over the last 48 hours or so. A supporter has written an open letter to a woman called Amanda Staveley, who is spearheading the Saudi Arabian-backed takeover of Newcastle United. I'll read out the letter to you, and maybe you can try and figure out why this has annoyed a section of Newcastle fans. So here's the letter. Dear Ms Staveley, at the beginning of the 2019-20 season, 10,000 If Rafa Goes, I Go Newcastle fans surrendered their season tickets. We let Mike Ashley know he had sucked as much blood out of us as we could stand. I would like to think that our sacrifice made a difference, that those 10,000 grains of sand finally tilted the scales that we helped to drive him out of the club. Maybe I exaggerate our importance. It's hard to know what goes on in his mind, but certainly that mass walkaway couldn't have hurt our mutual cause. We're not asking for any great reward, only that we be allowed to come home to be where we would have been if it wasn't for Mike Ashley. When COVID 19 allowing season tickets go back on sale, everyone will want to be inside St James's Park. There will be queues stretching halfway to York. But who should get those tickets? Of course, current ticket holders come first. After that, in all fairness, I believe that anyone who can prove they held a season ticket in the 2018-19 season and left when Rafa left should be given priority. Now the letter goes on, I won't read the whole thing, but basically it goes on to say that if you give see, if you give tickets to these people that Sur- surrendered their season ticket at the start of the season, you'll get the right sort of supporters in the ground, the ones that truly care about the club. Now, Marley, this has caused a bit of divide amongst Newcastle fans because although they're reasonably respected, these fans that decided to give up their season tickets in protest against Mike Ashley, they did that. They surrendered those season tickets knowing that they're not going to get them back. It's It wasn't like a voluntary, oh, we'll give up our season tickets until he's gone. Once you give it up, you give it up. It's like any Premier League club, and a big club like Newcastle. There's a long waiting list.
3: Yeah, and it's um, I mean, it's just like it's like anything, isn't it? You, you like you say, you you give it up, and and that's it. It's like me having a a lottery ticket, and oh, I didn't cash it in, but I bought it, and it's and now I can't do it anymore. So can I still win that ten million pound lottery? It's like no, sorry, mate, you can't because you haven't, you've you've missed your chance, kind of thing um you know you mentioned there's a there's a a divide amongst fans um I, I mean technically there is because one's said this and then 200 and odd people have <laughs> responded to it it's calling him a divvy um basically <laughs> everybody's like what what is this letter it's it's embarrassing it's it's not a letter that should have been public it seems like it, the whole thing just seems like a, a guy crying oh, we're going we're going to become you know, a, a, a team full of glory hunters, uh, having glory hunting supporters and what have you, and it's just, it's just a bit cringy, isn't it? It's not, it's not what you want to see from, from fans. Um, it feels you know, a bit stuck up as well, Marley. Personally,
2: looking yeah, at this from does. a neutral perspective, because they're almost taking a slice of the credit for the fact that Mike Ashley has sold the club, but actually, that was Mike Ashley's decision to sell the club, and he's wanted to sell the club for longer yeah. than. Rafa Benitez has been in charge of Newcastle, so I mean, I just don't understand their point of view here.
3: That's yeah, that's that's the thing for me. I mean, the the that first first line where it where he says, um, "I would like to think that our sacrifices made a difference." I'm sorry, mate, but Mike Ashley was in charge of Newcastle f- uh, for 13 years, and if you've watched, if you've been part of the Newcastle um, fan base or whatever for the last 13 years, and you still somehow believe that it was you that um or a great number of you that swung him into selling the club you're absolutely deluded because there was nothing stopping him selling it for 30 it was on it was on the market for five or six years before this takeover even like finally seems to have materialized there was he doesn't care about what fans think he doesn't care that people want to you know punch him in the street, he doesn't care that fans want him out because it's a business to him. He's, he's he makes the money for, for things and and uh, for himself and you know gets the dividends and what have you and keeps the value of the club as high as possible, which means underachieving on the pitch because to achieve, you know, success on the pitch you've got to spend a lot of money. So um if uh, it's just naive to think that fans you know fans were protesting about for this guy for since, since Keegan left back in 2010, I think it was Mm. nine, 10 kind of thing where, where he came back and then realized they were all a bunch of idiots and, and had to leave again and was forced out by them. So if you, if you think, you know, nine years of fans calling him all sorts and and calling for his head didn't work. But that 10th year, we finally, we finally cracked him. If you can stand up to that pressure and, and that hatred for, for so long, like what, what, is another year to him like it it hasn't cracked him at all it never even dented him it never even snicked him never even put any sort of tiny chink in the armor at all he was never gonna sell unless somebody was very serious about buying which he always said and finally it seems like they, they are um they are concrete and they are genuine so now we've got him to got him to go it was never anything to do with the fans because we couldn't as a fan base, couldn't decide on the best way to um, best way to get rid of him. We all we all knew it was to hit him in the pocket. However, getting people to actually do that is 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 hard because people still want to go and support the team. And he knew that, and he was playing the fans as well as the fans mm-hmm. were trying to play him. So it was kind of a an unwinnable situation, even with with protests and things like that. They don't work. They don't work as well as fans think they're gonna work um it never it's it's never proper
2: i've always said as well newcastle fans love that club too much to stay away so i was pretty shocked when i saw some of the lowest attendances on a saturday being recorded for newcastle in like 10 years since newcastle in the championship so i think it did make a bit of an impact but when i see comments like this from the open letter and i'll be interested to know what you think of this ant from an equally neutral perspective not only will this be a fair and just reward for those who made the sacrifice, but it also means Newcastle will be getting the right fans in the ground. Now, this line here, not only will this be a fair and just reward for those who made the sacrifice, when you make a sacrifice, by definition, you don't do it to get a reward at the end of it. That, that's not making a sacrifice. Making a sacrifice is you sacrifice something for the greater good. Now, that reward and that greater good in their original opinion, was to get rid of Mike Ashley. And that appears to be what's going to happen should the takeover go through. It looks like it certainly is going to. So why are they searching for a fair and just reward? I mean, if they want to go and watch their club, they're going to have to buy a ticket like every other fan because they're not going to be the only ones that want to go and watch Newcastle now.
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head there with the definition of sacrifice because what, is there, what he's basically saying there is giving up something in return for something else, which, sorry to break this teammate, mate, that's a job. You give up your time in return for, <laughs> for money or something else. You, you know, those kinds of things. Or you give up your freedom in return for, like, uh, a home yeah. life. That's, that's a marriage issue. That's called a transaction. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and this is not what it is. And also, as well, just let's stop for a second and, like, hold the horses. It's not gone through yet. It has not yes. gone through yet. It still might not go. And then I'm sitting here thinking as well, like, I mean, we, we still haven't seen all the figures and all the ins and outs and all this sort of things, but... When you're talking about hitting Mike Ashley in the pocket, do you think Mike Ashley's gonna feel that loss of those fans when this sale goes through if it does? That's you know, he he's gonna walk away from this with a lot more money than he than he came into it with.
2: Yeah. Which is what he's wanted to do for those thirteen years, as Marley says. I mean he's he's been hanging on and hanging on until the money came in. I mean, for him it was a it was a decent asset to have and now he's finally got the three
1: hundred plus million he wanted for it, which was, in his opinion, worth waiting to thirteen years for. I just want to remind people as well. You go back sort of twenty, thirty years when when these things started to happen, when clubs were being turned into PLCs, and there was this sort of blanket phrase that whatever happened, it was the phrase "it's good for business, it's good for business," and this is this is this is the result of it, and it's taken a generation uh, for us to feel it. And the prob problem with it is the emotions have not caught up with the reality of it yet, and. I feel for the guy that's written the letter, I really do. Because what can you do as a fan of a club? You're the person that's, you've been there all along. You've been there all along. And now I, I can understand it feels like he's being neglected. Now, the wonderful thing about this is, it is such a great opportunity for the new owners to come in and win a load of PR instantly. Because all they have to do is when they come in and go, yeah, of course, well, let's add some more season tickets to it. So all those people that gave them up, we'll add them on. Because in that way they know they're gonna get a full ground, they're gonna have the fans on side, whatever happens for that for that time, you know, there'll still be the good feeling because Ashley's gone as well. So um that's that's an open goal for the new owners when they come in. So I'll be very surprised if they don't act on this in some way. I'm not sure how with the ins and outs that they'll be able to do it. Um but I think sadly the reality is is that um what matters to the clubs, what matters to the Premier League is not so much that we're fans, it's that we're fans who have money that we're willing to spend on the Premier League.
2: Interesting really, because you know, we still don't know what's going to happen with Newcastle United and Phil Hudson, when uh the news that Rafa Benitez had left Newcastle was actually on the podcast with us and he's another Newcastle fan, uh, and he actually found out the news midway through the podcast and we always say we kind of have a little in-joke that you could kind of hear his heart breaking when it was revealed that Rafa was leaving and straight afterwards his kind of initial reaction was you know well there'll be a, there'll be civil war between the supporters and it never really materialised like that but maybe now we are starting to see sort of a, a mini version of that Marley in, in albeit a different way it wasn't civil war in terms of the, the supporters and owners kind of going at each other toe for toe it was more now what we're seeing a civil war between groups of supporters it's kind of fractured within itself in a way yeah
3: um, I think you know when, when Phil, Phil mentioned when Rafa left uh, about the civil war thing I just don't think fans had the energy for civil war anymore because they knew that they're banging their heads against a brick wall and that's the only reason like it it, it was mm. bad as in like everybody was like you know what oh, you know what's the point in even supporting the club anymore and it, and it did have a, a negative effect on the club um, I'm not really sure where whether it it descended into civil war in terms of, of everything because they knew, you know, civil war is when you, you think that you can change something and, and as I mentioned before, Mike Ashley is immune to what fans think of him. He literally doesn't care because he's the one owning the club and he's the one making the decisions so it was never going to help and I think a lot of fans realised that and uh, it wasn't quite as sort of toxic as it was, um, as, as it could have been. Um, it still was on match days and things like that because people... With all of a sudden seeing you know Steve Bruce get the job, and when you and as as much as I, I like Steve Bruce as a person, I don't think you can re- realistically go from Rafa to Steve Bruce and still have the same uh, you know feeling amongst the fans because they know they're getting shortchanged and and, and they're used to it. But you know going back to to uh, the current situation, I think uh, it's not quite as. You know, it's not quite the same as as it was, but um, you know, you're looking at things like this, and it's just you just hope they get it right. You just hope they get it right with with these with mm-hmm. these new owners. Um, we still don't know how they're going to run the club. I mean, a lot of people saying, you know, it's an open checkbook, and you would assume it is. I mean, it, it might not be. It might be. It might be, be something else. It might be, you know, um, just living within our means. And and me me as a fan, like I, I don't go to bed thinking I just, I want Newcastle to win everything and I haven't done for, for 20 years, I'm, I'm not that kind of fan who just who wants, you know the instant success, I just wanted my club to have a go and to live within the means and to be a little bit ambitious not necessarily to go out and buy the best players, just buy players who can improve the team, like I'm not even I'm talking about Salomon Rondon last summer. That's all I wanted. I wanted Rondon and Rafa because they both wanted to be at the club and they both worked at the club. Mm. But instead, we got a, uh, uh, you know, a, a completely um, bollocks excuse about you know he's too old, Rondon's too old. He's not got much sell-on value. Uh, so we're going to go and spend uh, spend money on Joel Linton, we've we've scouted for six months and we think he's great and then you put him in the team and you realize that he's not a target man he can't play on his own up front but we're going to try it anyway so that's the kind of thing that annoys me as a fan I don't really I, I don't really go to bed thinking oh wouldn't it be great if we signed Mbappé or or the next De Bruyne or someone like that I'm, so I'm not really that fussed about that I just want my team to try and I think that's the the issue with mm. a lot of uh, neutral fans who look at Newcastle and the ones that aren't clued into what fans want, and they, they say, oh, well, all the Geordies do is demand success and, and think uh, and think they're entitled to things because they've got a big fan base. And you can talk to everyone of that bloody big fan base if you want. And all we want is somebody who's going to run the club that actually tries and lives within its means and uh, is a bit ambitious. And hopefully these new owners can do that, and that's all we can ask for, really.
2: Okay, our final story of today's podcast revolves around Arsenal and some transfer news coming out of there. A couple of sources reporting that Arsenal might have to sell up to six players to make up the rest of the remaining £72 million they paid Lille for Nicola Pepe in the summer. Arsenal's record signing and, you know, although it hasn't really been a roaring success for Pepe, you can see the kind of the green shoots there of, of a good player that he might become. However, this is interesting, and we know that this 72 million pounds ant is in installments, so Arsenal didn't pay this in one fell swoop, in one lump sum, they pay it they're paying it in, in small chunks. Um, I'm not sure how many installments, but certainly it's a few, but it's now being reported that six players could be sold to make up the rest of the money because obviously football's in a financially precarious situation at the best of times let alone now during this pandemic going on so what do you make of this situation if Arsenal lose six players to fund the one does that sound like bad business I know it's not their I know circumstances dictate and it's not their fault but to me it sounds like pretty dodgy business
1: it actually sounds pretty terrifying to me because Arsenal have always come across to me, particularly when Wenger was there, so maybe this is reflective of the changes since he left, that they've been a cautious club. They've been a, a clever club. They've not gone out and splashed. And, you know, the the the, the ongoing joke, they had 20 seasons consecutively in the Champions League. Uh, guaranteed, you know, they'd always been fourth. Um, and every couple of seasons they'd win the FA Cup. They basically managed to build and pay for a brand new stadium uh which obviously at the moment is, is sitting there empty like so many other stadiums but that is is something that very few clubs would be able to do uh they've been cautious in the transfer market Um uh, surprised everybody when they splashed out the 40 million for ozil possibly that's something that they're kind of regretting now um it not necessarily paid off in terms of that investment but uh Possibly in reacting to the fans and reacting to the pressure and the changes post-Wenger, they've gone out and splashed a bit more. But I don't understand how suddenly their financial model can change so badly that they now have to get rid of six players. That's I, I, and, and just as a club that's been run so well, yes, one man going like Wenger, and I know he had a lot of control on how things were run, but there's still systems in place, there's procedures there. To get into a situation where you have to do that, I mean, that's worrying. Yes, football has a high turnover anyway, so you kind of expect at the end of a season to lose six players from your club anyway. That, that's, So it's maybe not as crazy as it seems, but to be in a financial situation where you have to cut your cloth by that much, that should be a concern for the club and indeed any Arsenal fan.
2: Um, you mentioned Mesut Ozil there, and I mean, you say that he's probably not really lived up to his 40 million pound value do you think this is the end of him marley at arsenal now this summer kind of we we know that there's been question marks over his future at the emirates for a while a few years he seems to miss a lot of games through illness and injury um he's he's still a very good player on his day but the problem is his day doesn't seem to be often enough
3: yeah i think um i'd agree with that but you know if you'd asked me six months ago i would have said ozil seems to have no future at Arsenal and I'd be amazed if he was there next summer but since Arteta got the job he's been building the team with Ozil in it so that's kind of a something you've got to think of of hang on is, does he have a future there because he's I mean he's like 30 30 31 now isn't he and he's on a lot of money a week so if you're gonna have to get rid of six players if this is if this is all true you would assume them six players uh, could be less than six if you get if you're shifting three hundred grand off the wage bill as well as you know a, a decent transfer fee or even if it's just fifteen twenty million you get from him, it's uh, it's one of them where if you're rebuilding and you're got if you've got to afford things, then you sell players that are gonna free up a fair bit of your budget and you would assume that Ozil would attract a fee and and he would leave but it just depends on Arteta whether he thinks he, he can. He can build with him, and he wants him enough. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd. I, I'm. I think I'm pretty much the same as everyone else. I don't think he gives you enough over the course of a season anymore to um, to warrant his his place in the team and and to warrant his his wages being on the books. I think if you're looking at top earners, you want them to be you know Aubameyang scores all the goals and gets you gets you everything uh, that he brings you, and then the likes of Leno. Uh, people like that, who who you, who you spend the money on, who the ones that are actually worth it. I don't think Ozil's worth it anymore, to be honest. So, you know, maybe maybe they they see a way past this. But if you're if you need money from Pepe, then you, you surely you're looking at selling Ozil. If this is true.
2: Yeah, you think so. And just a final point on this one. And I saw Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, in a video chat with Ian Wright yesterday, and he mentioned that you know if he's kind of having to convince players to join arsenal in the transfer market and they need a little bit of persuading then that's not the type of player that he's looking for he still feels that arsenal have the clout to attract the big names in world football is he right have arsenal still got that pull in power they're still a huge club one of the biggest in england i'm not discrediting them that but certainly on the world stage considering they haven't qualified for the champions league regularly enough uh, they're out of the europa league again this season depending on what happens to the campaign when it resumes. If it resumes, we don't know where they're going to finish in the league table. Are Arsenal still, you know, attractive enough a
1: prospect for some of the better names in European football? It's romance versus reality again. I mean, you speak to Marley and he'll tell you that Newcastle's a big club. You know, the, it, it the is. fact is, is that, yes, you, you, you yeah, but you, know, you, you go around it and it is and you go to the games and it feels like it really is. But when you break it down to like... Uh, the 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 revenue that they generate the amount of trophies that they've won the the players on the book then they're not <clears throat> and I think Arsenal definitely were but they've slipped off and this is why the top four the top six is such uh such an important place to be in terms of that reputation to be able to 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 move in now obviously um we have seen the likes of Leicester and we're just celebrating four years since uh, Leicester. Uh, clinched their Premier League title, the unbelievable season that they had. Shut up, Alexa. Uh, I, I I don't I don't know what prompted Alexa there to respond to that, but uh, I I think I I like what he's saying there. That will appeal to the fans completely. Unfortunately, I think in this modern day, with agents and the way that things work, opportunity and finance speak loudly and so that's going to be the issue that they face and it's a nice get out of clause, get out of jail free clause for Arteta to say because that means if he's linked to the player that they want and he doesn't come then he doesn't even have to say anything people just assume that ah that's why it didn't happen, it wasn't the club wouldn't meet the player's demands or the agent demands it was just that that player maybe didn't want to be at the club and I I think we're far past, sadly, long, long, long past that point where there was real loyalty between players and clubs. And badge kissing means nothing these days. Uh, (laughs) I mean, we have seen just just in the last few months that crazy article uh, in the Real Madrid magazine with uh, Raheem Sterling talking about potentially going and playing for them just before uh, City played them in the Champions League. (laughs) And you know th- this is this is the the world that we're in it has changed but i think as fans we're slow to change we still have this romance and commitment and loyalty because we have that commitment and loyalty unfortunately i don't think the players i don't think the managers possibly even the owners have that anywhere near that same sense of loyalty and commitment that we do
2: there we go Arsenal fans a nice cheery note for you to take into the rest of your week uh, you're not a big club anymore according to Ant McGinley the <laughs> Manchester City fan uh, any, Crop anyway this has been Football Social Daily for Wednesday don't forget we've got a QA and a podcast tomorrow on Thursday due to it being bank holiday in the UK on Friday we're moving our podcast to Thursday and you've still got time to send in any questions so anything you want us to answer on the show tomorrow give us a message on social media our DMs are open at the sports social on Twitter at sports social on Instagram and you can Find us on Facebook as well. We have a page there. But that's it for today's podcast. Thanks very much, Marley. Thank you, Ants. Thank you. Thank you. My name's Niall. Make sure you hit subscribe. You'll never miss another show again. And we'll speak to you again soon.
0: Football social daily with German Doner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and UberEats.